Well, good morning. Y'all good? Man, can y'all believe it is December? Who's ready for Christmas? Anybody? All right, cool. Five of y'all. Awesome. Congratulations. You're overachievers. Um, if you're like our family, we, we have done like all of our Christmas shopping online. You should see my closet. It looks like an Amazon warehouse. Okay. It's like, you know, all the boxes are on the top shelf where the kids can't see them and all that good stuff. But man, it is hard to believe, especially with like the weather we've had this, this week. Um, it was like 80 degrees the other day and 70 something. Our family traditionally, we went, um, last, uh, last night we went down to the Greenville Christmas parade and usually we're like all bundled up with hot chocolate and everything, and my kids were sweating because they were playing in the streets of Greenville last night, Um, but it's good to see you guys, and man, this is just a time of year for many of us that we are anticipating uh, celebrating the birth of Jesus for a lot of different reasons, but for some of you, you might be thinking, man, this is a hard time. Maybe you've lost a loved one over the past year, um, or someone's struggling right now, or maybe many years ago. And you're just still wrestling with that grieving process. And my hope and prayer is wherever you're at on that spectrum, that you would meet Jesus right where you are. And right where your needs are, where your hurt and your pain and and all of that intersect, that you would really celebrate and and trust and hope in Christ uh, this year like never before. Because ultimately, we, we know, I know it's cliche, but we know that Jesus... Um, is that. And we often say during this season that Jesus is the what? The reason for the season. Okay? We we say that, but let's think about this. I want to open up this morning with an illustration. Now, uh, don't think I'm like disqualified as a pastor, okay? But I stole baby Jesus from the office. All right? This is baby Jesus, probably the creepiest looking baby Jesus I've ever seen. All right? But, um, but you know how that goes. You Google Jesus on, uh, on Google, and there's some, there's some quite interesting uh, pictures that you would see. Well, um, you know, many of us, we know, we see baby Jesus, we know what Christmas is all about, and we celebrate this. You might have a nice nativity scene at your house, you know, whether it's a little small tabletop thing that you have somewhere, maybe it's larger, maybe um, you're like Christmas vacation and let's put one that's like huge that's lighting up the whole neighborhood, I don't know. Um, but we've seen this, uh, Sloan's dad has one that's like from the 80s that he puts up, it's like that plastic, hard plastic with like the bulb at the bottom, you know what I'm talking about? Um, and so, um, but I thought about this, and if you, if you really think about this, we, we know ultimately, that Christmas is about Jesus. I mean, it's, Christ is in the title. And it's, it's really interesting, this dichotomy that we live in, where as believers, it's one out of two holidays, other, the other one being Easter, that are pinnacle in our faith. But at the same time, it's also celebrated by a secular world. Now, maybe not for the same reason, but we have Christmas break or um, they might call it holiday break or winter break now, you know. Uh, but at the same time, many people around the world celebrate Jesus or at least the idea um, or have a vacation around Christmas. And you and I know, and I'm going to assume that as believers you're here in church, we know it's about Jesus. But we're guilty of this time of year making it everything but Jesus. That it's supposed to be a time that, hey, like we're supposed to be uh, filled with peace and love and hope and joy. But let's be honest, it could bring a lot of stress, anxiety, you know, like 
let's go to Woodruff Road on a Saturday afternoon. Let's see how much joy you and I really have. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and so if you think about this, we, we make Christmas about a bunch of different things, okay? So we can make it um, about the presents and, um, you know, and like rip, uh, wrap presents. And I don't know if you're good at wrapping, but we'll make it about presents. Maybe that's giving good presents. All right, don't sue me, okay? I'm putting that right on baby Jesus' forehead, okay? That's right. Okay, we make it about presents. We, I don't know, like I love giving my kids presents. I love seeing them, I, I love seeing their reaction, right? Like I'll spend a gazillion dollars just for them to be like, oh my God, and then five minutes later they still hate me, all right? And so, but we make it about presents and we, we're going shopping, we're doing all these different things. We got Amazon order, we're fighting traffic, doing Black Friday, all those different things. Or you're like me, um, I like Christmas decorations. Anybody, y'all decorate your house? How many people decorate their house? Lights on the outside? Yes? No? Okay. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Um, and so we love the Christmas decor. All right. So we make Christmas about the Christmas decor. Put that there. Right? Um, how about food? We like candy. Kids, y'all like Christmas candy. Right? Got some. I, I, I see it sucking on the, the, the candy cane right now. We make it about Christmas candy and everything that's in our stockings. And my kids come home like every Friday with like more Christmas candy already. Like before Thanksgiving from their kids. All right? Now I'm going to throw this out there. Right? No one get offended. We make Christmas about Santa. Okay? If you would like this uh, Alpine Ski Santa... You can get him for $14.99 at Walgreens right here. Well, actually, you can't because I got the last one. So I'll sell them to you. It's $14.99 there. I'll sell it to you for $19.99. So anyway, um, but you think about this, okay? And I know this is cliche, but when it comes to the, qu the question, why Christmas? It's a really good question because we know underneath the surface, it's about Jesus, but maybe we know our world, and maybe you and I continue to create layers on top of Jesus and on top of Christmas, that we know Jesus is somewhere under all that, but ultimately what we see is this. We don't see Jesus. The world doesn't see Jesus. And so what ends up happening is it's kind of what I would call like a peekaboo Christmas, it's kind of like, I know Jesus is there, and it's like, oh, there you are, peekaboo <laughs> type thing. And as Christians, we can go one way or the other. We can either represent Jesus and celebrate this time beyond this time and in our lives and say, why Christmas has changed my life, and we're going to unpack that in the next few weeks. But also, or we could go on the opposite end and be like, this is ridiculous. I'm tired of Starbucks calling it a holiday, <laughs> you know, and just be all uptight about it. And, and, I, and I get it, you know, like I want the Christ in Christmas just as much as you do in our world. But when we live in a lost and broken world, you get lost and broken things. And so we have to be what we've talked about over the last few weeks with our one series. And won't you be my neighbor? You and I as believers, we can't just say why Christmas is important. We have to show why Christmas is important. Why Jesus really is the reason for the season because you and I and our culture are continually creating this cover-up, if you will, and this peekaboo type thing. And it's like, hey, our lives are about this, this, and this. And oh, here's Jesus a little bit. So why Christmas? It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. And this foundational principle before we dig into God's word this morning is that understanding the why, all right, think about this, understanding the why of Christmas 
draws us closer to the who of Christmas. If you don't know the why of Jesus coming, Jesus is this a little statue that we see in the nativity scene. Maybe a good person who taught some good things that were written down long ago in a thing called the Bible. And that's it. But when we really understand the why, we will appreciate and draw closer to the person of Jesus, the who of Christmas. Do you agree with that? That when we understand why did Jesus have to come? What, why, why Joseph? Why the line of David? Why a virgin birth? Why, why give him the name Jesus? Why was he known as Emmanuel, God with us? When we start to unpack those things and understand the why, man, it really allows our appreciation and our passion and our intimacy with Jesus to grow as we draw closer to him. So if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to look at a pretty, what I would say, um, unconventional text for um, the start of a Christmas series. But I think it's so good and sets some really great uh, foundational work um, for where we're going in this series. Let's kind of let the cat out of the bag. Um, we'll be talking next week about why Mary. We'll be talking about why Joseph. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll be talking about why Jesus. So this is kind of all-encompassing in a lot of different ways. But if you have your Bible, let's uh, read in Galatians 4. This is written by the Apostle Paul to the church of Galatia. And this is what he says. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is a, the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. And in the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now get this, verse 4, huge verse right here. But when the fullness of time had come. So why now? Why did Jesus come in this point of history? What, what does it mean for my life right now? Think about that. Whether it was then or right now in your circumstances. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying. Oh, this is our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, Paul says, but a son and if you're a son, then you're an heir through God. Now, I know that's not the traditional Luke passage and Jesus and the shepherds and the wise men, but this is really, really big for us to understand the why. And really, we have to go all the way back to Genesis 3 and to something that we don't necessarily always want to talk about, where God created everything. He creates Adam and Eve, and the serpent comes and deceives Eve. They take of the tree of good and evil, and sin enters into the world. And at that moment, we see in Genesis 3 that there comes this shame, this guilt, and Adam and Eve hide from the presence of God. And as they hid, 
then God's like, hey, you know, what, what's going on? Who told you this? And they, they confess that, hey, they did this. And man, um, we see this even to this day. Man blames Eve. The woman made me do it. Guys, don't confess right now, but you can confess later. All right. She made me do it. He didn't take responsibility. He is passive in it. But sin enters into the world. And all of a sudden, now mankind needs redemption. It was an evil place. It wasn't as God designed. They literally wanted to be more like God, and the serpent deceived them by really lying to them and saying, God didn't really say that. He didn't really say that. He didn't really say don't eat of that. He just knows that if you eat of it, you'll be like him. So out of their curiosity and disobedience, they take of the fruit of that tree. Sin enters into our world, and what Paul is addressing here is huge. Because earlier in the letter, he really is irritated because the church is making the faith, the Christian faith, Jesus plus things. Really more of a worker's wage type mentality, meaning you need to earn your salvation. That it's not just, hey, just believe in Jesus. He's the only hope. He's the redeemer. But, hey, you need to do X, Y, and Z, and if those things are good, do some other things, and if those things are good, do some more things, and maybe you'll earn your way and, um, into heaven, earn your salvation. And Paul says in chapter 1 of Galatians, no, there's one true gospel, and it's Jesus, and that's it. And he's pretty irritated about it, and he calls them out for it. Then he goes into chapter 2 and 3 to really kind of bring this to life and to say, hey, you know, th there's only this one true gospel but the law that you're living under really proves the curse. It really shows that we all have a sin problem. And so if that's the case, we need somebody to redeem us, to restore us back to what God's design originally was. And so it brings us then to chapter 3 and into chapter 4 where Paul is reiterating this, but he moves it from just head knowledge to more of this personal concept to say, hey, you've been redeemed. He, God has sent forth the Son for you, for you to be uh, adopted, that you are heirs. You're not just a slave over here, but your identity has changed because of Jesus. And so three things I want to draw out of this. If you're really thinking, why now? Why, why was this Christmas? Why did Jesus have to come? The first one being, if you're taking notes, is that because we need freedom. You and I need freedom. Now, don't mistake this as just do whatever you want, you know, and ask for forgiveness later, some cheap grace concept. But this is the understanding that we are enslaved to sin. Sin messes everything up. And when we're, in, we're, when we're involved in sin, it's a convoluted web, and you would probably agree with me, that you try to work your way out of on your own, and you just can't do it. It's like two steps forward, one step back. You just, it's like sin creates more sin then you try to lie to cover up your sin, which now you're going deeper. And it's, it's like this vicious cycle of our lives. And I don't know about you, I've seen people try to wrestle sin on their, by themselves. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. You just can't do it without Jesus. And so what Paul is addressing here is he's saying, hey, you were enslaved. He actually uses the illustration that you're like a child with a caretaker or a manager of your life. Now, as parents, we know this. My kids would probably say as their parent, they feel enslaved, okay? But, but if, 
as, as a child, there are certain things that you can do and you can't do. You need your parents' help. At the end of the day, you need your parents okay or no. Don't touch. How many of you, you know, when you had little toddlers, you're like, no touch, no touch, no, 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 touch, no, don't, don't touch that. It's like the whole time, right? And to them, they might not understand, like, hey, I want some freedom. But we also understand there's got to be rules in place. And so he's addressing this and saying, hey, when you're young, you're immature, when you don't know Jesus, you're enslaved into those things. We see in John 8, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. It might feel good in the temporary, but there are consequences to sin. You and I know that. You don't have to be a, a biblical scholar and go to seminary to know that when you lie, there's consequences. When you cheat, there's consequences. When you're not following God, there's consequences. And so all of those things keep us in bondage. And we can't truly live the way God intended for us to live. That's why you look at Adam and Eve. Man, he wanted them to enjoy the garden. But what did he do? He had to kick them out. Now all of a sudden, women are going to have child pains and labor. And all the women said, golly, all right? And then the men were going to have to work the fields. There's consequences for that. And we can just continue to go. But think about that. We, we needed freedom from that slavery. And at this time, if you really think about it, they were also enslaved, what Paul says in these elementary uh, principles, they were enslaved to the law, that what God intended for, the, for God's people to follow, now they become legalistic about it, and it's like, this is it, you have to do this and this, and then they started to add some things to it. You couldn't do this. You couldn't dress this way. You couldn't eat this way. You had to do this on this day. You couldn't do this on this day. All of these different things. And Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You've like in institutionalized who I am and my relationship with you. And you've made it so cookie cutter in this instance. And I want to free you from that. Like if you talk to anybody, and I'm not asking for a raise of hands, but I've talked to so many people that grew up in a very legalistic home where it was all that. And they feel enslaved to those things. They don't experience grace. They don't ex experience the joy of following Jesus. Now listen to me, I'm not giving permission to do whatever. But I'm saying there comes this balance of grace and truth for us to understand. We don't need to be enslaved to those things. And as we mature and understand the why, we grow closer to the who. So we, we need freedom um, in that. The second thing that we see that Paul addresses is that we need redemption. You and I need redemption. We are dead. Because of our sin in our life, we're dead. All humanity is dead without Jesus. Dead people, there is no life. There, there is no joy. They're dead. And so, because of our death, we need a Savior. We need uh, a Messiah to come to rescue us from this enslavery, from our death, to breathe life into us and provide a hope that is greater than anything this world has to offer to resuscitate our dead bodies, to bring us to a place where we can live, that we can enjoy God. And Paul's addressing this and he says, when the fullness of time had come, which many scholars believe at this point in time, 
the technology had gotten to, um, to a certain level, the road system, the language where Jesus came so it could spread like wildfire. So when that came time, it was perfect timing. It was perfect timing for God to intersect, to send his son. And so it says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under that law, the Jewish law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law. To redeem to bring those that were being weighted down by the, the legalism, the, the, and slavery to sin, all those things so that God could send Jesus to redeem us, to restore us, to give you and me life. Now, I don't know about you, over the last probably month or so, I would say maybe a little bit longer, I've been saying this, I feel like I'm like a broken record to my wife Sloan. And, and maybe you're in this boat, but there have been a lot of people that have lost loved ones in the last month, two months or so. And maybe in the last year, in this time of the year, celebrating Thanksgiving, celebrating Christmas, man, this is hard. It's like a first. It's like, this is my first Thanksgiving without my husband, without this person in my life. This is a Christmas where you know, he usually hangs up the reefs and does the Christmas decorations and he's not here. Or she does all the shopping. My wife is still bitter about that, okay? But it's like you have all these first-time things and you look at it and you feel dead inside. You feel like there's no hope. And Jesus wants to intersect right where you are this morning. He says, I bring redemption. I bring life. I bring joy. You don't have to carry that by yourself. Stop just living under the law, under the oppression, under that weight and the circumstances. I have come to redeem you. I've come to make you new. I've come to take your sadness and make it joy. To take your hurt and bring healing. To take your pain and make a purpose out of those things. I've come to totally recreate everything. And that's why Christmas is so important. Not because we look and we're like, oh, that's a sweet little nativity scene with, you know, seven pound, six ounce sweet baby Jesus. All right. Or creepy nativity scene. But to say, you know what? God sent his son to redeem me. So when I'm struggling with something, when I'm hurt by something, when I'm in this deep moment or season in my life, I know that God loves me so much that he sent Jesus for me in this moment. Does it make it all of a sudden better? Maybe, maybe not. Does it make it go away? No. But I can't tell you how many times I've told Sloan, man, I don't know how, I'll, I, if I was that person, how I would handle that situation without Jesus as the greatest hope in the world. That's because it comes from this redemption that he brings. He brings this redemption. We all have a sin problem. We all have a sin problem. And Jesus is the only solution to that problem then, now, and ever. We can put Band-Aids on the problem. You can go get some counseling. You can read some books on grief. You can turn to alcohol, drugs. You can say, I'm not happy. I need a divorce. 
You can say, hey, I just don't want to know which way to go. I don't think it's church. You could, you could try to f- figure it out by yourself. The only solution is Jesus. That's it. You come into Jesus. Notice, I didn't say just attend church. I didn't say read, you know, Jesus calling devotional on Friday nights. I didn't say go to, you know, online to Amazon and buy a nativity scene and pray to baby Jesus every night. That'd be weird, okay? I don't know why I said that. The coffee's hitting, all right? But think about it. It's Jesus. Man, it is a relationship with Christ. The other things might make you feel good in the temporary, but if you want, a, if you want long-lasting hope, something that's in e- eternal, forever, is Jesus. And Jesus was then. That's why God sent him. He's right now, and he's forever. We need that redemption. And then here's the beauty of it. Three, what Paul says, because of that redemption, he says in verse 5, um, So to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So if you're taking notes, the third thing is that because we need adoption. We need adoption. Now, most of you know me and my wife Sloan's story. Some of you might not. So we have three sons that we adopted. And we struggled uh, for about a year and a half trying to have biological children. And we didn't do that. So we felt like, hey, God was calling and God really had to hit me over the head because I was all caught up on, I need to have my own kids. And I've told some of you this, I wanted that moment, which if you're a dad and you have biological kids, you know this isn't how it works. But like, I thought it was like Lion King. Like you get the kid and it's like, oh, you know, and I like wanted that moment. And it's like, Mr. Dozier, it's a boy type thing. And I wanted that. And so selfishly, I kept telling someone, we're going to have this, we're going to have a biological child. And it wasn't part of God's plan. So we started walking through the adoption process. And um, so we've adopted all three of our boys. And in that, I say that because I understand this idea. And I don't know what God's calling you. I mean, you know, I know he doesn't call everybody to adoption. But I will tell you this. And I know many people in here are either are adopted or you have adopted. There is something uniquely special about adopting a child that shares its lens on the gospel. It shows you how God adopts us, you and me, into his kingdom. Now, I'll tell you this. My boys are my boys. I don't look at them and be like, oh, they're adopted. They know their story. They know they're adopted. But I don't remind them, you know, like I used to my younger brother and tell him he's adopted, you know. I don't say that. I don't rub it in their face. And my hope and prayer, just being really vulnerable, my hope and prayer is that my boys, while there is an identity wrestling with, to be like, okay, I don't understand all that right now at their age. My hope and my prayer is that through their adoption story, that they can see the greatest adoption story ever told. And that's God adopting them and adopting you and me into that plan. And that's only possible because of redemption. And so when I look at our boys, I'm like, hey, I don't say, hey, adopted sons, time for dinner. They're my boys. I don't think of them any differently. 
And those of you who have adopted kids, you understand what I'm talking about. They're, they're my kids. And here's what's so awesome. That's how God views you and me. That because of that redemption, because of the blood that was shed, because of the birth that, that God sacrificed his son in, you and I are adopted into this. We are adopted. Ephesians, oh, I'm sorry, yeah, Ephesians 1, 7, it says that in him we have this redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses. But we see that in that we become adopted as sons and daughters through his blood. And so this is what's so crazy is that our adoption into God's kingdom provides a home for God's grace, for God's grace and God's presence. When we adopted our boys, we provided a home for them to see Jesus, to be taken care of and loved. But beyond that, think about this. When God adopts us because of his blood and his redemption in our lives, he provides a home for you and I to experience his grace and his presence. My boys experience my grace and just being with dad. I don't know where you're at in your walk with God this morning, but maybe you need to experience this God's presence. You need to experience the Heavenly Father like never before. So why is Christmas important? So you can know God. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to say, come here, I, I adopt you. Take all that baggage. Who cares about all that? Man, I sent my son pay the price for that. I want a relationship with you. It's not about gifts and decorations and Santa Claus and all those things. It's about Jesus. Why? Because you and I have sin and that sin separates us from God. Without Jesus, we'd be miserable people. Sinful lives, really damned to hell. I'm so glad that Jesus came and he said, I've come to give you life and give it to the full. We also see that Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, that no one can come to the Father except through me. He's starting the adoption process. And really, in that, you can either continue to be an orphan or give your life to him. Let's pray together. Father, Man, your love is so powerful. And I just know in this moment, this morning, that many of us, someone here feels like they don't even need you. They don't need your grace. They don't need your truth, your love, your adoption. But Father, I pray that in the midst of that hurt and that pain, you would meet them right where they are they would see you're extending your hand to provide a home of grace. Oh man, that's so awesome. A home of grace and your presence to just be with you. So Father, as we sing this closing song, let it just be the prayer of our hearts to step into that relationship with you. And I pray specifically for the person here that thinks they need you the least. That today would be the time that they say, I, I want to step into that. I want to be heirs of what God is giving. The greatest thing, forgiveness and eternity with him. 
And if that's you this morning, you could come down to the front and talk to somebody. But Father, we love you and we worship you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Hey, let's stand. Let's worship together. If you'd like to make a decision, take a next step, whether it's baptism or just a relationship with him, I'll be down.